0: remembered in Japan and how to continue to talk about um, about those bombings as the Hibakusha are dying. They discuss Japan's imperial past and current push towards militarization. Check that out on SoundCloud or on iTunes to re-listen to that show. Um, and today, Henry and I are in the station. Um, I'm Nick. I'm a teacher up in Springfield. And I'm Henry, and I teach at uh, Bradley World High School. And today's show is, a, is part two of teacher unions and ongoing statewide healthcare negotiations for educators. So we're going to begin the show discussing teacher unions and work, the work necessary to support our students and communities. And in the second half of the show, we will focus more specifically on the current negotiations for educator healthcare. This will be discussed both in terms of teacher healthcare struggles, but also the broader struggle to fund universal healthcare for everyone. We will talk with two local union reps in vermont and hear from a local union president on opening day in springfield vermont so we are going to go to a song break um we're going to pull up woody guthrie a better world coming
1: There's a better world that's in, tell you why, why, why There's a better world that's coming, come tell you why We will beat them on the land, on the sea and in the sky There's a better world that's coming, I'll tell you why There's a better world that's in, don't you see, see, see There's a better world that's in, don't you see when we'll all be union and we'll all be free, there's a better world that's a coming, don't you see? There's a better world a coming, don't you know? No, no, there's a better world that's come in, don't you know? I'm a union man in a union war, it's a union world I'm fighting for. There's a better world that's a coming, don't you know? There's a better world. There's a, there's a better world that's come in. there's a better world you coming, I'll tell you why, 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 don't you see, 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 and don't you know, no, no, hey, 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 there's a better world that's coming, I'll tell you why, 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 there's a better world that's come I'll tell you why. There's a better world that's coming, tell you why, 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 better world that's come I'll tell you why. Out of marching, out of battling, you can, you can hear, hear the, chains the chains are rattling. There's a better world that's coming, I'll tell you why. Now there's a better world that's coming, and there's a better world that's coming, and there's a better world that's coming, I'll tell you why. There's a better world that's coming, I'll tell you why, why, why. There's a better world that's coming, I'll tell you why. We'll beat them on the land, in the sea, and in the sky. There's a better world that's coming, I'll tell you why. Well, there's a better world that's coming, don't you see, see, see. A- better world that's coming, don't you see. When we'll all be union and we'll all be free, there's a better world that's coming, don't you see. There's a better world that's coming, don't you see, 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 better world that's coming, don't you see, when we'll all be union and we'll all be free, there's a better world that's
2: coming, don't you see. Okay, we're back live, you listen to WVEW. Um, LP, Brattleboro, 107.7 FM. This is Indigo Radio, and we are trying to get our first guest caller to call in. He's, we're having a little technical difficulty, but he'll be with us in a moment, we hope. Um, Nick, do you want to give a little background about him sure. and um, who he is, and, um, and then we'll hopefully get him on shortly and, and begin chatting with him?
0: Sure. Um, so Keegan is actually a, a union rep up in Springfield. He's a social studies teacher at Springfield High School um he was elected to be our vice president um and he will be hopefully on the line with us talking about unions and why it's important to be active in our unions as teachers um so why don't we try to call him okay yeah
2: that's gonna make it a little bit challenging because <laughs> <laughs> that's beyond my tech. The phone is i don't know he can't call he's having of time he called in at first and um and then uh, maybe try, try one this. more time. See if you can oh, hold on a second. No, I got it. I know what I did Great. wrong. Try it. Hang on. Okay, try one more time,
0: Keegan. <laughs> <laughs> this is community radio, folks, so you have to bear with us. We have, we have technical problems. Um, uh, why so don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Henry, and your activities in
2: the year sure union? Sure, I will, and I think maybe give a little background as we're waiting for, oh, he's coming in now. So let's see if we can get him back on the One sec, hold
0: on. <laughs> Hello. Okay. Keegan,
2: you there? Can you hear us?
3: Yes, I can
0: hear you. Awesome. Can we you did hear it. Me? Nice job, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> sort of All up. right. Okay. So we're
2: just doing a little introducing of you. Would you mind giving um, giving us a, just a, a short bit about your background and and kind of how you became involved in the union and the issue of um, maybe healthcare and that type of thing? Just a little bit of background about yourself.
3: Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I became involved in the union, I guess, first when I got hired, um, and I've sort of long been a supporter of labor unions uh, as as forces in the world, um, and so I wanted to, to join as soon as that was available to me. Um, I wouldn't say that I got active in the union until a couple of years into uh, teaching. Um, But it it felt like that was an important thing for me to spend my time on as as things get sort of harder out in the world. Uh, And I think that the union is a way that we can make that stuff better uh, by working together. Um, And as far as the, the background in healthcare, I've been Active in the Vermont Workers Center, um, b- even before being a union member, which is sort of organizing for universal health care um, in the state of Vermont.
2: Okay, great. So we wanted to. We have a few questions for you. And the first one we have is: um, How do you see uh, your unions work as connected to larger community struggles, uh, both in Springfield and in Vermont, um, but maybe larger struggles uh, nationwide or worldwide too?
3: Sure. Um, Well, I'd I'd start by saying that I think in in the small scale, there's a really clear connection between the the teaching and working conditions in schools and the learning conditions for students, which is, um, you know, that's kind of a a slogan that's often invoked is that teaching conditions and learning conditions are the same. but but it also I think goes beyond that where the the living conditions of teachers affect their teaching conditions, and the living conditions of students affect their learning conditions, and so so that link kind of um, it goes out radially, right? So the 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 realities of a community have a really direct effect on the realities in the classroom. Right. Um, so if the the town is poor, then the schools are underfunded and then teachers are spread more thin, and it's harder to be effective in helping kids out, even when those are the kids who need maybe the most uh the most support and and it can kind of create these these vicious cycles um uh and then so, so, the fight of the union to improve uh, the conditions for teachers is, is, therefore, I think, also connected to a fight to improve the conditions in the in the community that those teachers serve. And then, obviously, the the community that uh, a teacher in a particular high school serves, you know, like if I'm teaching in Springfield, it's not like the conditions in Springfield are totally divorced from the conditions in any of the towns around it, or in the state, or or in the world. So. Right. In in the the particular case of Springfield, right, um, there's all sorts of union connections. It used to be a really strong United Electrical Workers uh, town. And then the development of right-to-work legislation in the south sort of led to the shipping of the jobs in precision uh, machine industry from that area of Vermont down to southern states. And it led to a, a collapse of of the industry there, and, and and Springfield is still sort of reeling from that economic change. So there's a direct connection between the the shift in kind of national and now global, right? The the manufacturing um, that used to be done in the southern states is now being done overseas. Right. Um, there's a connection between that and the economic conditions in Springfield, and then to the the teachers union. And I think if, if we're working to improve the conditions in Springfield, then we have to also be thinking about that in terms of conditions around the world.
2: All right. Thanks. That was a thoughtful answer. Nick, do you have a question you want to ask? Keegan?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think just what what stood out to me from what you said is kind of about teaching and living conditions. and. I know when we had talked before, you said something about how oftentimes, because of the way that um, we aren't politicized or the way that we are politicized, that we often separate our work life from our life at home as if we're living outside of work, but that, um, that work is just, should be left at work. And I wondered if you could say a little bit about that in regards to like healthcare and what you're talking about with students and how that comes into the classroom.
3: Yeah. Um, Right. I guess to me, um, life is sort of the the sum of the human experiences that we have. And that means that it includes, that life includes a number of hours every day, uh, sometimes a majority of hours every day, um, working or going to work and so on. And that means that in a lot of ways, the the thing that has the greatest control over the life that I live is my work. Mm-hmm. And so it, just as you say, it, it's, I think that we're sort of taught to think of work and personal life as being separate. But um, the conditions I work in and the, the pay I make and whatever else has a, a really direct effect on where I can live, how I can live, what I can do with my free time. Um, and especially, I mean, I, th- I think in the case of, of teaching, it's really, it, that, that is work that is famously not divided between, it's not like you punch out and you're done. It's, it's famously work where that the line sort of is, is blurred or bled, um, which I think can lead to, to it being hard to organize people into unions. Um, because it's, it's, it's easy to perceive union work as being like one more ask on top of the work that you're already doing outside of, outside of work. Um, when in fact that kind of work can actually sort of change work and then change life, give you, give you more time to, to pursue other things outside of that. Um, that didn't, really touch on healthcare or what I talk about mm-hmm. with students. That's, that's all right. What do you, <laughs> um,
2: you did mention, though, and I wanted to follow up on that. Um, it's something you said earlier. Uh, what, what role do you feel like capitalism as an economic system plays in the conditions of our lives as teachers and our lives and our students' lives. You you kind of hinted at it with with the migration of jobs out of Springfield, but could you touch upon that more broadly? The, the way that you think capitalism intersects with the material reality of people living on the ground in Springfield and Brattleboro and, and really around the world.
3: Boy, um, well, so, it's kind of the it's kind of the underlying thing. I think. I mean, not kind of. I think it, mm-hmm. that that uh, capitalism is the underlying. Force, um, and so that that has, uh, in order to serve uh, capitalism, that has sort of, again, a, a pretty direct effect on on the role that schools play, um, and I, I hear, I don't know, I I think this comes up a lot in education that. People talk about how the education system was sort of designed for an industrial economy and preparing people for the shop floor, and that's why we have Carnegie units and bells between classes and so on, Mm. Uh, and that now we need to somehow transition to like a post-industrial economy. Um, And I find that that is sort of just a different way of selling a different kind of, of industrial education, like we're still primarily, the schools are primarily uh, engaged in both teaching kids that this is the way that the world is and either has always been or will always be, and sometimes both, um, and also preparing them to go into the workforce in different ways. And uh, schools kind of have a, have a, a role in doing people sorting and dividing labor um, and the, the conditions of the towns that schools serve also do some of that work where it's sort of a, a bigger-scale sorting of labor. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the schools kind of reaffirm that and, and do do some, some shuffling on top of it, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's interesting to think about capitalism and how we're teaching it in schools and then how unions kind of come in to be a force to protect workers. Um, so I wonder how, the, like all three of us, thinking about profit as being the driving force of capital, um, the driving force of capitalism and how we teach in schools, but how so, How also our activities in the union Particularly around healthcare, which is a profit-driven system, um, how we can act against that and in favor of our students? Because for from for me, profit is connected to the exploitation of those students that are in our classrooms. Mm-hmm. And so, thinking about the vision of the future um, of our unions and what work we need to do within our communities, I wonder how we see union work moving forward as being um, kind of the push towards workers-centered futures?
3: Yeah. Um, well, I think the, the more that union members and unions as organizations can become conscious of, of the tie between um, the, the world that they're working in and the work themselves and the workers themselves, um, that the, the better that will be. Like the the more that unions are organizing, not just to um, kind of defend the the conditions that they currently have, but instead improve the conditions of people generally. I think that that's, that there's a lot of potential there, and around healthcare in particular, it seems like that's. You know, it, it's really clear that that is a point of crisis, and it's also really clear to me that there's sort of a divide and conquer tactic from um, from the profit-driven uh, healthcare industry that is is saying teachers have it pretty good, therefore don't do anything to support an an improvement of of teacher healthcare uh, conditions. But it, it strikes me that that if we can be instead organizing to provide the healthcare that everyone needs to everyone, we'll both sort of get rid of the, the capability to, to be divided on healthcare um, and move ourselves more into a way of thinking and a, a model that sees communities and, and workers as one and the same.
2: I like that you said that because I think one of the things that having a capitalist economic structure does is gives the illusion, at least, of competition and gives the illusion that every, you know, provides this illusion that everyone has a shot to... You know kind of be the, the the top of the heap, but in reality what it's doing is is really dividing and conquering which you kind of hinted at and in, in other words people in the middle and lower classes fighting it out amongst each other oh well you've got pretty good health care and i don't or you know um, this kind of thing or fighting about immigration or any there's any number of topics where they're just as happy at the top of the heat to have people at the bottom fighting thinking each other are the enemy rather than saying wait a minute who's the real enemy here and why don't we fight them mm-hmm. So and I think this healthcare fight is a bit, as you said, a bit in that category because it's um, it, it's if if we let the powers of be have their way, they would they would they would do exactly what you're saying. Like oh look, well teachers have pretty good healthcare relative to the crappy healthcare everyone has, so mm. why are you complaining? Mm.
0: Yeah, I wonder, Keegan, since you've done a lot of work with the Workers Center, if you could kind of contextualize for us before Tev joins us, what um, what happened around Act 48 the push for universal health care for all in Vermont and how Mm -hmm. I figured this out this morning that the green mountain healthcare board came out of that and is now the regulatory board that is um, essentially checking off these rate and the increased rate hikes for blue cross blue shield and other private health care providers in the state. So can you give us some context around act 48?
3: Sure. Um, Act 48 is the the law on the books in the state of Vermont that says that Vermonter that, that residents of Vermont that people in Vermont, not even residents, will have um, access to to publicly provided healthcare by July of I want to say 2017. So it's been um, it has been active and unfunded for two years now. It was passed in 2011, like you said. Um, as the, the result of sort of an organized push for equitably funded universal health care in the state. Um, during that push, uh, the, the Affordable Care Act was passed, and that sort of threw a wrench in um, the, the initial intention to just go straight to universal care. Um, so my understanding is that the Green Mountain Care Board was kind of created – in order to transition from the, the Vermont you know, Health Care Exchange um, ACA model that, that we're required to live under for a couple of years into the universal health care that, that was going to be implemented in 2017. Um, then in 2014, um, Governor Shumlin Provided a a proposed funding mechanism for Act 48 that was pretty laughable. Like it was it was um, unlikely that anyone was going to go for it. Um, although even that funding proposal uh, would have reduced healthcare costs for a vast majority of people in the state. Um, and so it didn't pass. And then there's been really no attempt from the state house to look at any other alternate proposals, even ones prepared by the workers center, for instance. Um, and so it sort of has, has the universal healthcare part has, has been essentially forgotten about, I would say, by state lawmakers, while the Green Mountain Care Board now has the power as an unelected board um, to regulate healthcare in the state. And every year, the insurance companies in the state make requests to them about raising uh, insurance rates and usually they they give them a little bit less than they ask for but uh every year those rates go up so and this past year i think blue cross blue shield got a 12 percent mm-hmm. uh rate increase which um, is well above and... the rate
2: of inflation i mean it's well above the cost of living raises that oh. so, yeah.
3: Yeah, and the year before that, I, I, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but it's, you know, every year the costs go up. So it's 12% over the the rates that were 5% over the rates that were right. 8% over the rates or whatever it is going back just year after year. So it's really, it's very clearly unaffordable and, and in testimony, oftentimes representatives of the insurance companies will will say, yeah, we we, we know that it isn't affordable and yet. We still need these rates. So, in my experience, the the public hearings around that stuff often put the solvency of insurance companies at the center of the discussion, yeah. rather than human beings and their and their healthcare. Sure. Um, yeah, and which it, I find really telling.
2: Yeah, and I think anyone with just a Basic modicum of economic understanding has to realize that the, the reason these costs are driving up every year, both in Vermont and nationwide, has di- is directly related to the profit motive of the of the of the private healthcare industry. I mean, we were looking at some data before we got on the air with you. Just for example, the Michigan CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield earns 19 million dollars a year. Like, of course, nationwide, you can't sustain any kind of reasonable healthcare costs when you have a for-profit model for healthcare, and of course all we're right. doing all we're having at the local level is this being passed these expenses of paying ceos of inordinate, inordinate amounts of money paying pharmaceutical companies huge sums for their for pharmaceuticals are often they're often publicly funded that this is just the tailpipe end of it that we all that we all breathe in essentially
0: and so it's so right. interesting looking at the um looking at the testimony from the Green Mountain Healthcare Board, it's exactly what you said, Keegan. That uh, they recognize that it's not affordable for confu- for consumers, but that they had to. This, these are quotes. Had to take the financial health of insurers into account, and so that is our state and our state representatives that are appointed, as Keegan said, not elected, um, protecting interest, residents, interest, yeah, right. right, and protecting the interests um, of the capital protest- exactly. Yeah.
3: The phrasing of it is almost too perfect. That the financial health <laughs> right. you know, right. of insurance companies is, is a higher priority than the actual literal health.
0: Right. And they talked uh, about building the uh, reserves of Blue Cross Blue Shield. That was what that was what the article from Vermont Dicker um, and people can check it out. It's from August 8th. Um, that's those were the quotes from our Green Mountain Healthcare Board.
2: Well, Keegan, we, I, I hate to, this is such a fascinating conversation. I hate to cut it so short, but we have another uh, union member who's also doing some organizing. You might know Tev. Um, he's going to call mm-hmm. in with us in just a few minutes. So we're going to um, thank you for your time with us, and, and we appreciate the work you've been doing um, and on the union side to fight for union rights and um, and keep up the good fight. And we're going to go to a Billy Bragg song called There is Power in the Union. So thanks a lot, Keegan, for your time today.
3: Thanks. It was such a pleasure. Okay.
2: Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
3: Bye.
4: But who defend the workers who cannot organise When the bosses send their lackeys out
2: So nice to have um, real strong union music. That's Billy Bragg. A lot of you might know who he is. He does a lot of singing about workers' workers' rights and unions. So thanks, Billy, for your efforts there. Um, welcome back. This is um, WVEW, 107.7 L.P., um, FM, Brattleboro Community Radio, this is Indigo Radio, we're streaming live to you most Sundays from noon to one, you can also hear us on SoundCloud, you can check us out on iTunes, Facebook, and Instagram, and today we are, we are doing a show about um, unions, and somewhat more specifically about healthcare within unions, and um, Nick, you're going to introduce our next guest, is that correct?
0: Yeah, so Tev is from Randolph, and is he online with us? I think he is, Tev, are you there?
5: I am right here.
2: Yay. Henry.
0: <laughs> Henry's <laughs> yeah. rocking it with right. this board technology <laughs> yep. today. Welcome, Tev. Do you want to just give us kind of a brief introduction to you and your work up in Randolph?
5: Uh, sure. Yeah, my name is Tev Kelman. I, like you said, I, I teach at Randolph Union High School. I teach uh, social studies and English. I've um, been doing that for about 10 years. Um, And I'm also the vice president of our local, which is Orange Southwest EA. Um, (laughs) And I'm also um, involved in the healthcare council, which um, is kind of a new body within the Vermont NEA that is not the bargaining team, which I think we're gonna get into in a little bit, but sort of this um, parallel body that is kind of thinking about organizing and and strategy and leadership development, Around kind of the bigger picture of healthcare.
0: Mm. So, Henry and I were talking a little bit today, and so I think it's good for us to give some context to our listeners about how we got to this place where healthcare is on the table statewide. So, I wonder if, um, Tev, or maybe Henry, if you could talk about how we lost our collective bargaining rights. Sure. I might have just
2: take a second and maybe you can fill in just because Nick and I were talking about this and you might know some details about this, but a couple of years ago, the state NEA was saying to its members, um, Hey, will you get out in the streets and protest because governor Scott wants to get all the union members of the state together as one bargaining unit. And the idea of the NEA said was the reason he's doing that is to make, to make sure that he had us all kind of together and the state could, could make basically have, um, weaken the collective bargaining rights of, of unions throughout the state, um, kind of gather everyone together. And then a year ago at the annual meeting, a little bit more than a year ago at the state NEA meeting, they capitulated and said, oh, yeah, that's what we're going to do now. And so a vote went through, is my understanding, in the union. Um, and they, they basically sided with the Scott administration, So yeah, this is a good idea or maybe this is the best deal we'll get. And so now instead of every district negotiating, we're negotiating as one large unit. As, do you want to add anything to that story to have the background of that story?
5: Um, yeah, I mean, I I think that's, I think that's pretty, pretty accurate. Um, yeah, that's, that's actually quite a good quick and dirty. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, So, yeah, I mean, I I don't necessarily need to add to that. I I think maybe just to add like a little bit of like even deeper historical context, you know, Mm -hmm. this is, I would say like the latest salvo in a long assault on I mean, obviously, healthcare in general in this country, um, but but specifically Vermont teachers' healthcare. Um, you know, there was a time that some of my colleagues remember where teachers essentially had a single payer system, right? You know, they had 100% um, employer premium,
1: mm-hmm.
5: uh, you know, employer-sponsored premiums, and there were no copays and no deductibles, and um, and, and so you know, this is. Both in attack on health care and, as you said, um, a, a way to sort of undermine collective bargaining and, and the power of labor.
0: So mm-hmm. so I'm wondering, Tev, you had gathered a group of educators that were that are active in their unions to talk about being health liaisons. And so you had you had a um, had given a presentation about the connections between, teachers unions and the fight for healthcare and other workers and so i wondered if you could um, talk about how teachers previously or how workers previously fought to ensure that they had what they needed
5: um yeah yeah so i mean i think when so you're referring to uh we had a summit um on August 17th, that was trying to gather together, um, healthcare liaisons, which is a a new position that we're trying to, um, create and fill in, in all the locals. So somebody would be really thinking about healthcare, um, not as a, as a, like helping people fill out their horrible blue Cross blue shield and HRA reimbursement forms and stuff, but rather like thinking about organizing around healthcare. Mm -hmm. Um, so we gathered about 25 of those folks together in Barrie at the old labor hall um, and talked about a lot of things. But, you know, one of the things we talked about is sort of like the deeper context of the fight that we're in. And I think one of the really important points is that, like, you can sort of track the – the uh Rise and fall of the promise of universal health care in American history with, uh, with the rise and fall of the power of organized labor. Um, and that, you know, coming out of the Depression, World War II, which is arguably kind of the high point of union power, um, you know, a third of, of the American workforce was unionized in 1945. And FDR was talking about universal health care in his Economic Bill of Rights um, shortly before he died at that point. And there's a long story of of how and why it happened, but, you know, we've seen union density plummet. We've seen unions, um, seen radical leadership be targeted, you know, starting with the Red Scare and and in other ways since. Um, And we've seen kind of the rise of business unionism and this kind of strategy of, of capitulating to management demands and seeking labor peace and really being averse to strikes and other work stoppages. Um, and all of that trend, which has really just, you know, been like the time since world war two, um, has also seen the rise of privatization in healthcare and, um, the, the rise of the idea that, that, you know, healthcare is a commodity and that people who access healthcare are consumers, um, and then these clever products for bundling, you know, different kinds of health services to different consumers, uh, which has had the effect of, of you know, despite the promise, um, increasing costs. So so that's kind of like that bigger context, and I think that in terms of um, the recent role of – or the recent experience of, of – educators in Vermont within that larger crisis, um, you know, we're we're in a position where we now have um, employer-sponsored health care that is a, a high-deductible, low-premium plan, um, which is a product that didn't even exist, like when my parents were teaching when I was a little kid in Vermont, um, now is pretty standard across the state. Um, and what it does is it shifts more costs and risk onto the quote-unquote consumer, right, the, the patient, the employee. Um, and what is now being proposed is a further shifting of, of cost by um, increasing the, the share that the employee is, is going to pay. That's what's being proposed by, by the state. Um, and all of this is, like, really terrible from the perspective of, you know, what we should have, what we used to have. Um, but it's also um, marginally better than what a lot of people who don't have employer-sponsored health insurance are dealing with, which is paying the full cost of those premiums, which, as you were talking about earlier, have just been going up at outrageous rates. Um, and so I, I guess the point that, that I really want to highlight is that as, as – members of a relatively powerful union um, we both have sort of the responsibility for driving the conversation around healthcare, and we have a, I think a real incentive because we're vulnerable if we're not fighting for health care not just for ourselves but for everybody to this kind of structural um, this, this structural disparity between what we have which is Worse than it used to be and getting worse and already unaffordable um, for a lot of people, and yet it's still going to be marginally better than what um, non-union employees are, are working with. And if we aren't building solidarity with those folks, they will be turned
2: against us it's also interesting too that you mentioned that because of course as predicted now that we're negotiating as one unit and we're no- negotiating against the state they call it the vermont school board association what we call it, what it is negotiating against the state for the their their proposal is draconian and you hinted at that in other words their initial salvo the union salvo is is okay you know as you said it's kind of it's you know, oh, the best we can get this kind of thing, but the states is, is actually a fairly draconian um, uh, recommendation as to what what people would pay. And interestingly, also makes um, lower paid people within the union like um, ES, um, ESP workers um, their share would go up. So it would actually punish poor members within our union. Um, for being less well compensated, they would the way I understand it. Maybe I I don't get this fully, but they would actually pay um, a dearer cost for this new um, crappy healthcare. Is that and that's a little bit more within the union, a bit of divide and conquer strategy, perhaps. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, yeah, that that's right. I mean, we I think um, what my understanding is, our bargaining team is. Essentially, in terms of the structure of the plan, bargaining for the status quo and also um, in terms of employee contribution. Um, but one of the things that they are pushing for is for uh, for, for a, a tiered, um, you know, income sensitive premium structure. And, and that's really being fought, which, as you're saying, yes, would have the effect of really punishing, um, you know, paraprofessionals and uh, custodians and kitchen staff and bus drivers and other folks who, you know, earn a, earn a wage and not a very good one in most schools.
0: Hmm. They proposed a 30% premium rate, right? That was their initial proposal from the yep. school board so association. Yeah.
5: Do you want a couple highlights of their initial Yeah, proposal? that would be great. Sure. That would be good. Yeah, yeah. It, right? yeah. yeah. So, so they want a two-year contract versus a four-year contract, which is could be perceived as as a sort of strategy to create bargaining fatigue and yeah you know just create a constant state of bargaining and um, also that
2: they know the yeah. costs will go up inevitably so in two more years they'll they'll make a, a crappier deal but one would assume that's what they want to do to not absolutely
5: yeah, yeah and that's a theme running through this sort of positioning themselves to to, to ship you more in the future yeah but yeah thirty percent premium contribution that's flat across the board doesn't matter if you're a superintendent or a Bus driver. Um, also, a, a, a really insidious little clause where they um, employees pay a hundred percent of annual premium increases above eight percent in any year, in addition to the thirty percent of the total premium. Mm-hmm. So, thirty percent is like your your base model, uh, but then in a year where where the Green Mountain Care Board allows Blue Cross Blue Shield to raise their premiums by more than 8%, i.e. pretty much all (laughs) the last several years. This year, Um, for example, right? This year, yeah, what did we say, 12%. So it's 4% above that. Mm Yeah, so 4%. So essentially it's a 34% um, compared to what it is right now. Um, There's that extra 4% tacked on top of it. So... um,
3: yeah, so, so you
5: know, and, and, and that is clearly again designed with the, with the, sort of assuming the, the continued increase of premiums um, for health insurance, and then there's also a clause that builds in a, a sort of increasing um, HSA uh, incentive. Um, so, so there's there's definitely some. Some aspects of this that are sort of geared to, to shift toward an HSA model, which uh, we're not getting too technical, basically also gives the employee much more of the risk of deciding how to spend the money rather than knowing that there will be a reimbursement there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's like a flat contribution. Um, Right now, that's not mandatory. It's a it's an option, but one could see how that might be something they're trying to lay groundwork for in the future. Um, and it's also a divide-conquer tactic because it, an HSA can be uh, something that is is um, maybe will, will work out if you're in a certain position, if you're you know if you're relatively healthy and and are looking to to save money. Um, not great if you have high health costs um mm. so that was just quite the interest of those of people in those different categories um
0: so to have the nea yeah, had and then they're, this and they're,
5: they're fighting for just single tier coverage i guess is the last mm. thing oh and and completely uh rejecting any cash in lieu of benefits right so if you you know if you get uh through your spouse you get Health insurance in some places um, they bargain for, for cash instead of your health benefits. That's not in their proposal. Mm. So, so yeah, thanks, Teb,
0: for all for that board. summary. Um, what I thought was interesting the NEA had a general call this week out to all members, and so I got on that call and just hearing some of the stories that people are telling. Um, one teacher was talking about how she had to choose between paying her son's epilepsy medicine for the month or her husband's asthma medicine for the month, and so the kinds of situations that people are in already because of the current healthcare debacle, which we didn't really cover on this show, but we have talked about on past shows around third part the third party provider data path and how their lack of communication with Blue Cross Blue Shield um, is creating such. Um, Havoc for teachers That so many teachers bills are being Sent to collections and that We're already in a really Terrible situation prior To going into this negotiation Which is making people first I think um, Terrified about what Will happen both um, In the case that an arbitrator is brought in And decides on the part of the state But at the same time I think that because of the situation that people are in right now, they're like, anything that is solid and that tells me what I have to pay as long as my healthcare is covered and I'm not in this debacle, Mm -hmm. may be better than what I have right now. And so I wonder how that will affect people's thoughts around um, the negotiations moving forward. But I wanted to ask you, Tev, What do you think the way forward is, and how do we get together to work towards making sure that we all have our healthcare taken care of, because we shouldn't be divided from other workers. We shouldn't be pitted against other workers, and we all are taxpayers. So I'm not sure why there's this conversation around, well, taxpayers will be footing the bill for um, teachers when, in fact, teachers are also taxpayers. Mm.
5: Totally. I mean, there's so many ways, right, in which that is true. Teachers are taxpayers and parents, hmm. right? Uh, and many of us are also products of Vermont schools, you know, uh, and, and, uh, and also just in terms of what we're dealing with, right? You know, you mentioned collections agencies. Um, so, yeah, according to a survey, an internal survey that Vermont NEA did last year, um, Order of Vermont AEA members were contacted by coaching agencies. Um, and among uninsured Vermonters, it's very similar. I think it's like 30%, according to the, the household health insurance survey from the same year. Um, so there's, there's lots of similar um, stories. Uh, and um, I think that that really needs to be a central part of the way that we think about the the way forward, right? Is, is that if we conceptualize our path out of this crisis as cutting a better deal at the negotiating table against a a team that clearly doesn't even mean to negotiate, right? They've they've really been appears to be kind of gaming this, this whole, um, Negotiations process, trying to run out the clock and send mm-hmm. it uh, toward an arbitrator, which it worked. Here, here we are. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, I think uh, that strategy doesn't make much sense to me, and it leaves us very vulnerable to being portrayed as these, you know, fat cats with these great health insurance plans, and we're mm-hmm. always wanting it for more. And so, I think that any strategy that gets us out of here has to build solidarity with community members and I think um, have like a, a five point plan for how to do that but I think that there are models you know I think um, one thing that comes to mind is, is or two actually I think both uh, the Los Angeles teacher strike and the um, Oakland teacher strike really came out of like long standing community work and centering community demands and the Chicago teacher strike um, you know, back in 2012. Um, so, so that's I think a, a key part is sort of figuring out how to make those local connections and, and figuring out what those local issues are that can get either formally incorporated into contract demands or get incorporated into demands, you know, political demands, I guess, at, at some level. Um, um, and I think you know another key element of that is like we need rank and file leadership badly in our union. I think you alluded earlier or Ms. Keegan um, was talking about, you know, the 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 call to to get in the streets to to, you know, push back against Scott trying to undermine local bargaining and the sense that like we don't really have a history of being a, a militant union in, in Vermont NEA, or at least not a recent history. Um, and I think part of that is that we have fallen into the trap that I think a lot of unions have. Um, sort of a, a, a part of the of, of the zeitgeist um, of, of members seeing the union staff as the ones who have the expertise and therefore the ones who should direct the work and do the work. And if anything, we show up, but that's really just something you do if you're kind of an activist. And like, we need a very different mentality where folks who are not who don't see themselves as experts do see themselves as leaders right Um, and i think we also just need a a consensus and a a sort of collective will that part of our goal is not just to not even part of our goal that that our goal of getting a a better uh health plan for ourselves is inextricable from the goal of winning universal health care, um, and that there is a, a way forward that involves our union throwing down with other
1: other unions and
5: other organized kind of base building organizations that are fighting for, like the Worker Center, that are fighting for exactly that, for financing for Ash 48, and I think that part of the pitch both to our membership and our leadership and also frankly to our communities and our school boards is that you know things are really bad for teachers with health care right now they're also bad for communities mm-hmm. and negotiations both at the local level and certainly at the state level are often extremely toxic because of this issue of how to contain these rising Healthcare costs and nobody wants to eat. And it doesn't seem fair that either taxpayers or teachers should have to eat that. Um, and so solving that problem would take that off of the balance books of school boards. It would take that off of the table as something that we need to fight to preserve in negotiations. And I think that ultimately it would allow for an environment where negotiations could be about pay and staffing mm-hmm. yeah. and, um, issues of workplace democracy, which I think would be a, a much better place to be than sort of like highly technical and almost always losing battles over healthcare. care.
2: Well, Tev, thank you for your deep knowledge about the subject. We could, obviously, we were talking to Keegan. We kind of, I don't say we cut him off, but we ended that conversation. I feel like we're doing that same with you, kind of ending the conversation short. But it, there's a lot of work to be done this year. And um, I, like you, i am a VP at the local union. So I'll have to talk to you indirectly uh, mm-hmm. off the air. Or maybe I'll email you about um, the healthcare liaison. So maybe we can get someone in our
5: union to do yeah, that. Yeah, we job. need we need one. All right. All right. So, so we'll, uh, we'll work on that. Offer, but, us, yeah. offer us up one. We'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> <do right>. <laughs> All right. right. <laughs> all right. Um, thanks so I believe, much, Tev. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah,
2: appreciate your time and, and all your work. And yep, it's definitely solidarity and a, and a fight among among the workers, including teachers, to to make this world a better place. So thanks for your work doing that.
5: That's right. Well, thank you so much, teachers and okay. workers too. All right, that's right. That's right. All right, Tev. Talk, talk to soon, you soon. <laughs> Bye.
2: All right, that was a good conversation. We're going to go and thematically appropriate just for a quick song break and then we'll we'll do we'll be out for uh, some final thoughts and some um, suggestions or some information about next week's show. And so here's Solidarity Forever by Pete Seeger. <laughs> Welcome back. This is W V E W L P Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. And you're listening to Indigo Radio, which is streaming live most Sundays from noon to one. Um, You can also, if you miss the show, you can catch us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And um, we also have Instagram and Facebook pages where you can link into stuff there. Um, Nick, any final thoughts about today's show that you want to share?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that Henry and I were talking during the break here. And this is going to be an ongoing conversation all year because um, this fight's not over. The struggle's not over. And so I think that we will have more, um, hopefully, people on talking about this particular um, issue, teacher health care. But I think that it's important for us to link that to other workers' health care in the state because we're not alone in this fight. As Tev said, it's not just about teachers mm-hmm. it's about rising healthcare costs for all of us and that being that blame being placed on teachers as costing taxpayers extra when in fact as we as we're hearing and seeing the green mountain healthcare board is is okaying these these hikes in for rates everyone. for everyone, right. exactly. Calling yeah. them unaffordable at the same time and talking about the solvency of a business, as Keegan said, over the lives of human beings. Right. And this,
2: as you and I talked about before the show, the, the the notion of health is not just the wellness of teachers, it's also health of our students. The students' families are contending with these same forces and they come to school under a very, very difficult circumstance. I've said this many times before, but my wife's school where she works, at academy school is the main sending school to Brattleboro High School. Has a sixty-seven percent poverty rate essentially, and so these kids are are coming from very deeply under-resourced homes, and that includes healthcare. And so, people—it's not just teachers struggling; we're struggling together here. And the powers that be know that know that, and that's the way they like to keep it. I
0: think right. And so, in solidarity, uh, we close our show. We hope that you'll join us next week. Um, Nina and Michaela will be in the station talking about. Caring for our elderly, and that's obviously so connected to our conversation today.
2: Yes, elder care is incredibly important, and um, we will all get old someday. So tune in next week, and um, and we're glad you're with us today. See you then.
1: Music of all kinds.
2: A great time to unwind from the it's week. It's your favorite song, followed by your other favorite song, followed by your new favorite song. With occasional breaks for babbling, it's the perfect prescription with your host, Cole. That's me.